It's good to see you here tonight. We're going to be picking up right where we left off last week. If you missed last week and you need one of the study guides, we still have a few of those left from last week. But now, and if, did everybody get a study guide for tonight? Bonnie, here, here's some back here that we need. Just raise your hand if you need a study guide for tonight. Now, what I've done in tonight's study guide, some of you had mentioned that last week that was a little bit small, so I made it a little bit larger so that you could actually see these uh, and you can actually read them. And if you go by the slides, uh, it's pretty well, well self-explanatory as you go through these. But last week we started off and I gave you the introduction, the whys and wherefores on this study. And we went through the first two parts. We went through the world and the crowds. And if my memory serves me right, I, we, we talked about last week, you know, we were talking about the uh, uh, Christians and the, the different religions of the world. And then we got right down to Church of God, which we have about 7 million members worldwide, but we have about 8 billion population worldwide. And I went down and I was going to get a percentage on this, and I found out something this week that I had never encountered before. I went to calculate that on my calculator, and it wouldn't calculate it because it won't go into the billions. So I had to use the old-fashioned method and use a, a fraction, reduce it down before I could ever put it into my computer. And if I'm right, you know, if you think we're really big and we're really somebody... We are 0.00825% of the world population. Do I need to repeat that? 0.00825% of the world population. That's not a whole lot, is it? I think Jesus knew what he was talking about when he talked about a remnant. <laughs> We're the remnant if we realize it. But I just, I just wanted to go by and back and mention that. But tonight, and uh, we're going to be looking at part two. We went into the world, and we went into the uh, crowds last week. Now, we're going to do three more of these circles tonight. Next week, we will only be doing one circle. That's the, the 12 apostles. It's going to take a whole study just on that itself. And I'm going to have to, to move and cruise to get through all three of these. But as we look at these, uh, and you'll see we're only on the third circle. Actually, it's the second circle because the world is surrounding everything. And uh, I mentioned to you last week the purpose of this study is not so that you can look at it and it be a guide to look, for you to point to somebody else in the church and say, oh, look at them. Uh, they're not very close, are they? They're out there on circle eight, or they're out there on circle six. I'm way up there on circle two. If you think that way, you're probably out there on circle eight. <laughs> so, you know, it's not to point your finger at somebody else in the church. It's for you to point your finger at yourself and say, I need to draw closer to God. And that's the whole purpose of this. And tonight, the, the first one we're going to look at is the 5,000. Now, whenever I'm presenting these, the 5,000, the 70, the 120, this is not necessarily in the chronological order 
okay? So if you look at the Bible and say, oh, this one come before that one. Now, I'm not looking at it in chronological order. I'm looking at it on the, the, the circles and their closeness to Jesus, how and how it all came about. And I'm saving the 12 to next week because that's going to be a whole study within itself. But tonight we're going to be looking at the 5,000. This is the feeding of the 5,000. Remember we, last week we ended up on, you know, we had the crowds, and we talked about the crowds. Now we're looking at a specific crowd. And here's the 5,000. And as you begin to look at this, uh, it's, a, it's amazing how all this fits together. And we start, he says, when Jesus heard it, now I had to stop right there. When Jesus heard what? When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, heard what? What did they hear? What, it, it, you have to go back before this the, in the previous chapters, and you'll find out that, that Herod just beheaded John the Baptist. John the, uh, John the Baptist lost his head, and you know the story there of, of Herod's uh, brother, Philip's wife, Herodias. Her daughter had danced before Herod on his birthday, and he was so entranced by it and so caught up, he told her, I'll give you anything you want. And of course, Herodias, talking to her daughter, said, ask for the head of John the Baptist. Herod didn't want to do that because he knew that if he, he did that, that was going to cause an interaction with the Jews. But they kind of slipped around here and, and slipped it in on him, and he had already made the promise you can have anything you want. So this is what he's talking about. When Jesus heard it, when Jesus heard from his disciples that John the Baptist had just been beheaded, he had just been killed, it said, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. And he said, but when the multitudes heard it, now when the multitudes heard what? I think they heard both things. They heard from the disciples and from the rumors that are going around that John the Baptist had just been killed. And they heard that Jesus knew it and Jesus just got on a boat and he was going to a deserted place to be by himself. But then they followed him on foot from the cities. Notice this is not one city. This was different groups of people from different cities around that followed Jesus. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude before him. And he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. And when he, it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, he said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You give them, you give them the food. And they said to, to him, 
we have here only five loaves and two fishes. That's all we have. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the, and gave the loaves to, to the disciples, and the disciples gave the multitudes, gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 basketfuls of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now this was a special crowd of people. They did more than just go to hear what Jesus had to say. They wanted more than just to go and see what he was going to do. But they were so entranced. Their minds, their eyes, their hearts were set on Jesus. And I believe at this point, Pastor, this is, came to me this afternoon. Because it said whenever the crowd heard it, the multitudes heard it, they followed him. And I thought at that particular point today, could it be that the multitudes had compassion for Christ? Because all of them had heard that John the Baptist was just beheaded. Jesus was going off by himself. And could it be that the multitude not only wanted to be with Jesus, but they were showing compassion to Jesus. And what happened is Jesus showed compassion back to them. They followed him into a desert. Uh, goodness, into a desert place. They, they weren't thinking about food. They weren't thinking about water. They weren't thinking about their own personal th themselves. But they were thinking, you know, they wanted to be with Jesus. They didn't want to miss anything that he said. They don't want to, didn't want to miss what he was doing. They wanted to be a part of it. And they actually followed him into a desert place. And they didn't want to miss anything that Jesus was doing because they were so focused on him. Now, the 5,000 represent those who followed Jesus to the places of feeding and healing. They joyfully discovered then, as we still do today, that Jesus has many truths to teach us. Jesus has many gifts to give his people that follow him. And although Jesus willingly and he lovingly met so many of their needs and led them to this place, he still didn't want them to stay there. He wanted them to move even closer. So as we look at the 5,000 in this special crowd, what were the characteristics of the 5,000? What made them stand apart from others? What made them be a little bit closer to Jesus? Well, first of all, they left the comfort of the city to a barren place. Are you willing to follow Jesus where he tells you to go? 
Are you willing to go to a barren place if Jesus says, I need you to go to this place? I need you over here for a season. Are you willing to do that? This crowd was willing to follow him even into the desert. They had not thought of food or drink. They were focused on Jesus Christ. And I have to ask you in, in these characteristics, how focused are you on serving Jesus Christ? Are you focused enough to follow him into a desert place? Their eyes, their ears, their hearts, everything was fixed on Jesus. And then we go on. They longed to be with Christ. Have you had those days when you just long to be with Christ? You just want to get off somewhere by yourself and you just study or read or pray. And I know there are times I like to get along and uh, I, I would, wherever I'm at, and I, I would go into the sanctuary with nobody there and just sit there. I didn't study. Sometimes I wasn't even praying. I just sit there. I just wanted to feel the presence of the Lord. I just wanted to let him talk to me. Oh, we're famous for talking to him. <laughs> Aren't we? I mean, we, especially when we want something, we need something, or we're sick, you know, boy, we're going to talk to him then. But how often do we stop and let him talk to us? Usually we, we, we go and we give our petitions, and after our petitions, we get up and what? We go. Jesus doesn't have any time to talk to us because we don't give him the time to talk to us. But this crowd wanted to be with him. And he said they experienced healings among the sick. I believe as they had compassion on Christ and what he was going through, Christ looked at them and the Bible tells us he had compassion on them and what they were going through. and said there were many sick among them. And what did he do? He healed them. Christ was moved with compassion for the 5,000. And God provided for them nourishment physically and spiritually. You see, Christ provided both. He doesn't just go halfway. He will supply our needs. And he'll even sometimes supply our wants. That we say, Lord, I sure would like to have so-and-so. And, you know, and I found it out. Sometimes he just supplies our wants to go along with it. But he always supplies our needs. Now this is the 5,000. And then we go to the, to the next group is the 70. And this is a very unique group because they're only mentioned one place in the Bible. One place in the whole Bible. This, these were the, the 70. Out of the larger groups, Christ selected a team that rose up to share in his ministry. They went forth, and, and he blessed them. And in, on the 70, let me go back to the scripture on this. Let's go right straight from the scripture. It says, after these things, the Lord anointed 70 others also and sent them two by two 
before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Now in Luke chapter 10, this is the only place you will find the 70 mentioned in the whole Bible. He said, then he said to them, the harvest truly is ripe, is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money, a bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from, the house, from house to house. Whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick there. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you, but whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, the very dust of your city, which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that if that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that if it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be profited down to Hades. He who, has, who, he who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, The Lord, even the demons, are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And you could read the rest of the story there. But this is the only place in Scripture that the seventy are mentioned. So why, why are they so important? Because it is the 70 uh, that they went from the circle of what we would call observation to the place of working and to a place of participation. From observation to participation. This is where they went. Uh, the, 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 the 70 here were very important. It says they did works that even Jesus did. Uh, and they represent, let me back this up just a second. They represent those who follow Jesus, those who are working, those who are serving in the ministry. See, as we, as, as, the Lord touches us and saves us, heals us, 
gives us his benefits. He gives us his power. He doesn't expect us to stay in one place. We can't stay out with the crowds. We can't stay with the 5,000. We have to move closer. He wants us closer. He wants us working in his vineyard, not just sitting. But we are to be working in his vineyard. And that's what this, the 70 here represent, those that are working and serving. Ministry is important. And that's what he's saying here. But that's not the most important. He wanted them to understand, you know, that, 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 that the work is not primarily the work that you do. You don't work harder. You just get closer to him. And as you get closer to him, you work more. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Because you, you, you're, you're working with, with Jesus and you want to do that. The uh, count of the designation and the mission of these, as I said, is found only in Luke 10. That's it. That, that, that's the only place you, you'll find it. And the, docu the documents vary here between the number 70 and the 72, and I mentioned that last week. You know, uh, Some places you'll see 70, some places you'll see 72, and there's controversy for people. It depends on where you're reading from. Are the number 70 or are the number 72? It really doesn't matter. Uh, there were 70 or 72. Theologians have looked at it and tried to decipher this. And, and, and they say, well, you know, since uh, there were 70 elders that assisted Moses in, in uh, Numbers chapter 11, then Jesus is a prophet likened to Moses, so he chose 70 also. That's what some people say. Uh, you can't prove it. But that's what some theologians say. And then others will say, well, at that particular time, there were approximately 70 nations in the world at that time. And since Jesus was going out into all the nations, the, the message is for all nations, then they say, well, there was one representative for each nation. That's another theory. Uh, and, and, and that's okay. And some say, well, it's because of the Sanhedrin. That in the Sanhedrin, there were 70 or 72 members. And because the Jews were actually rejecting Jesus, Jesus was setting up his church. Well, he just appointed those 70 in opposition to the Sanhedrin uh, to, you know, to go forth and begin... Uh, setting up the kingdom of God as he was preaching and trying to get it established before his death. So you have various reasons for the number 70 or 72. And I guess you could pick whichever one you want. And, and it, it's okay. But anyway, Jesus may have been just employing all of those people around him who were sympathetic to his cause, and they were ready for work. They were fit for work. They wanted to work, and he was going to put them to work. And so he sent them out two by two. And they're talking about the kingdom of God that's coming. 
And that was Jesus' whole ministry when he was doing this. Uh, he found 70 people to do this. Later on, he would be looking at 120 after his ascension. This is before his death. And then we look at, at the 120 after his death. He looked at the disciples, and the reason for doing this, he said, the harvest indeed is plenty, but the laborers are few. He needed laborers. And so he appointed these 70, and they began to do the work of the ministry in the church as Jesus sent them out to do. So this is a, a very important crowd. And the characteristics of this is that in this particular group, they shared Jesus' ministry. They didn't just listen to him. They didn't just uh, follow him around to see what was happening, but they actually were involved in ministry. As you draw closer to God, you will find yourself involved in ministry. Now, everybody doesn't work in the same ministry. And there's one I know, as we get older, some people say, well, I can't do anything. I can't physically do this. One thing that we need more in the church, now let me say church of God today, is prayer warriors. And you can do that. And now, I'm not saying it's prayer. Now, let me, let me hold off on this a second. When I say prayer warriors, I'm being a little specific here. Praying is hard. Do I hear amen, oh me? Praying is hard. When you get down and you start praying, and it seems like it's just hard sometimes to pray. I mean, you try to pray and you just can't keep going. You get so sleepy you're about to fall over. And by the way, if you ever uh, have a sleepless night, Start praising the Lord. The devil will put you to sleep because he doesn't want you doing that. Uh, but, but, but here, the, 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 the 70, they are involved in ministry. They moved from observation to participation. They're working in the ministry and they're wanting to work in the ministry. They did some of the same works they had seen Jesus do. Now, uh, I, I remember, uh, I've always wondered, I wanted to be a part. Lord, just use me in some miraculous way to help somebody. And uh, I remember there at the, the Widow Center, and I think I mentioned this before. You know, we were praying. We had one of our ladies that had been sent to the hospital. And in the midst of our service that evening, you know, I, I'd ask people to come up for prayer, to pray, and I asked someone to come in and, and, and sit or stand in the place for this person in the hospital. Now, when she came up, this lady, this grandmother, she had bone spurs. Now, she came up to pray for somebody that's in the hospital. She couldn't do her hands more than this. Because the bone spurs were hurt her so bad. When she lay down at night, she couldn't hardly sleep, you know, trying to get in a good position. And she's the one that came up to stand in for this person in the hospital. 
And as we began to pray, and I anointed her, and all of these ladies around, and now you have to realize, the ladies at the, the widow center, they're in Sevierville. You know, you get them praying, <laughs> you just well give in or give up, because they're not going to let loose. And they, they got around, and we started praying, and Donna had her hands like this, and she was really praying, and I was praying for her. And all of a sudden, I opened my eyes, and I was looking at her, and all of a sudden, both hands went up, just as high as she could get them. And she was praying for this lady, her hands, and then all of a sudden, she stopped. And she, one eye, and looked at that hand. Then she looked at the other, and that's all it took. She started shouting all over that place. God healed her. Now, I'm not... I don't say that was momentarily healed. I mean, uh, that it was just for a moment. From the time we left the widow center, I would see her on campus. I'd say, Donna, how are those arms? Praise the Lord, they're fine. She never had another moment problem with them. So don't tell me God doesn't still heal. He does. We were working at one of the most humbling experiences I've ever had was in Jakarta, Indonesia. And we had the conference there. And uh, Dr. Leonard and I were, were uh, in a separate room over, and it was a large room. And the workers that were there would come and take care of us. You know, what do you want? Do you want something to drink? Do you, and it, they took care of us just immensely. But then they came to us and they said, uh, one of them came and said, all of the workers want you to pray a blessing on them. This was the last day. Want you to pray a blessing on them. And I thought, okay, there's a few of them that want prayer. And so uh, Dr. Leonard and I were standing, we looked at each other, Bonnie was there, Dr. Leonard's wife was there, and, and uh, we said, sure, we'll be glad to. Well, the workers started coming in, and in, and in, and they kept coming. And they all came in and, and they all were kneeling and praying. And they wanted us to pray a blessing on them. And I'm thinking, no, you don't know what a blessing you are to us. To see people who want to work. People who, you, you, I, I asked one of them, I said, uh, I, I had some, their currency, and I, I said, I want to bless you with this. And he looked at me, he said, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. I said, why not? He said, because you would take my blessing. It is my blessing to take care of you. It is my blessing to look after you. No arguing, no fussing. They just wanted to take care of God's people. And, you know, it, it, this is such an humbling experience, but, but we go on. They moved to working and serving in the ministry of the church. They are not forbidden uh, to the Gentiles. They are working with Jews and Gentiles now. They're working with both groups. They were appointed, and some say that this was sort of a temporary appointment for them, up until Jesus was crucified. He had to, this was his last big push on uh, setting up 
and letting the people know that the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's what Jesus was preaching. And these are the ones that helped him get that message out. Now this is the uh, 120. Now we're going to have to go to the uh, 120. That was the 70. We want to go to the 120, the last one for tonight. And the 120, does that number ring a bell with you? It's what? Say it louder. The upper room experience, the day of Pentecost. And this is another group of special people. Reference to the 120 is highlighting those that were present at the day of Pentecost. And Scripture tells us there were about 120. And this emphasizes the importance of group prayer. We have prayer here on Tuesday nights. It's group prayer. We pray for individuals. We pray for each other. And we're going to find out something here uh, in, in this uh, lesson right here about group prayer. Now, in, in the upper room, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and son uh, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Now, we're missing one here. Who is it? Judas Iscariot. Because remember, he's the one that, that betrayed Jesus and went out and hanged himself. So he is not in this group. But another person, Matthias, is going to take his place. It said, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. It's interesting to note here that he says they continued in prayer and supplication. And when I read that, I thought, oh, why would you put both of those in there? Why would you put prayer and supplication? Because supplication is a type prayer. And I'll tell you why. He said they continued in prayer and supplication because prayer, you can go to prayer and you're asking for an individual, for yourself, for your uh, whatever. But when you uh, pray in supplication, you're praying for someone else. And when they were in the upper room, you know, he said, the, the Holy Ghost would, would descend upon you. That's what Jesus told them. You have to tarry in the upper room. And what they were praying uh, day after day was, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. But they're not just praying that, but they're also, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. But fill Brother Carl with the Holy Spirit. Fill Pat Baker with the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill Bonnie 
with the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were praying for each other. They were praying just as hard for the other members uh, in that upper room as they were for themselves. They were praying in supplication, and they kept praying. When you pray for somebody else, let me tell you, there is no selfishness in supplication. Can I say that again? There's no selfishness in supplication. When you are praying for someone else and you're crying and your heart is tearing apart for someone else, and it may be for the, for the Westward Church of God, we pray not just for myself when I pray. I pray for this church, for every member that walks in these doors, for every attender that walks in these doors. Lord, that, that when you walk in this sanctuary, it's not just a social place. But when you walk in, you don't have to invite the Holy Spirit because He's already here. This is His abiding place. When you walk in, you can feel the very atmosphere of Jesus Christ and know that He is here. But He said, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were what? They were all in one accord, they were unified. All in one place, praying together. I tell you what, now there is something when you get the corporate body of Christ together, praying together in unity, praying in supplication. Something has to give. It's like, it, it's like when you, you, you take a, 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 one of those uh, things that... On 4th of July, a rocket or some sort, and you light it and it goes up in the air and then it just bursts all over. And it feels like it comes in the bottom of my feet, goes to the top of my head, explodes, and then floats all over me. That's the kind of experience that you get. But he, he goes on. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The promise was given. The promise was made. There were a select group of people there in that upper room. Sometimes God pulls us aside in a select group of doing different things even today. And he pulls us aside. Now, what are the characteristics of this group? Number one, they obeyed the instructions of Jesus. Jesus said, go and tarry in the upper room until. Now, I don't read any place where any of them left. I mean, they were so on fire for the Lord. You know, here is a promise from, from Jesus himself. The Father is going to send the Comforter. And if you will go into the upper room and wait, and wait on Him. They were in one place, one mind, one accord, praying the same thing, fervently, in supplication. And then, they didn't give up. They waited. They waited. That in itself knocks a lot of us out of getting closer to God sometimes. Because we just can't wait. We can't wait. 
Oh, I've got this to do. I've got that to do. I've got this planned. I've got that planned. Oh, I'm going to have to leave early because I've got to go do so and so. The thing that we need the most, we cut the shortest. But just how long did they have to wait? One day passed. Two day passes. Three day passes. They're still praying. Four day passes. Five, six, seven. Woo! A week's gone. And they're still up there. Holy Spirit hasn't descended. I'm getting discouraged. I'm just going to get up and go home. Well, I guess they'll let me know when it happens. You know, that didn't happen. That happens to us a lot because we are an impatient people. But how long did they have to wait? Well, the arrival of the Holy Spirit happens 50 days after the resurrection. That's 50 days. Then if we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus was seen by the different people, and he was verifying his presence for 40 days. 40 from 50 leaves 10 days. They waited in that upper room for 10 days, praying in prayer, in supplication, waiting, and none of them left. Boy, if God could get us to just go one day. <laughs> Amen? Oh, me? They waited 10 days. Now, in that 10 days, uh, I wonder if there were any that said, well, you know, if this, if this don't happen by tomorrow, I'm, I'm going to have to leave here. I mean, I just can't, I can't wait. I got other things to do. I mean, I got, I got, a, I got a family to take care of. I got, uh, you know, we, we make, make all kinds of excuses, uh, but we got to leave. But they waited 10 days. Goodness. No wonder, do you see what's happening as we go through these rings? They're getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus. And what the question you have to answer in yourself is where do you fit? What one, which one of these rings, by the time we get through with all of this, do you fit in? And it's not for you to point your finger. It's for you to say, I need to get closer to God. I'm not doing much. I'm sitting around. I need to get closer to God. But there is something everybody can do. You can pick up the phone and just call somebody and tell them you're praying for them. What do you do when you feel down? Praise the Lord. Whenever you feel like that, Everything is just going wrong, and you feel like you're just not getting anywhere. I'll tell you something. And I, I, I told a, a, a young preacher this one time. He said, I just, I just get down sometime, and I, I just can't, can't seem to get going. And I said, well, at that particular time, the next time you feel that way, why don't you go out and visit the hospital or visit the nurse at home or go visit somebody in your church that needs a visit from you, and you go and visit them. 
You know, a lot of times when you go in to do that, now pastor and I, you know, we go out on visitation, and you go to visit somebody sometime, and you leave more refreshed because of what they did for you than you did for them. But we all need to lift one another up. And we need to draw closer to the Lord. Don't let Satan put you out or block you from your blessing. Now let me open it up for, for any questions you have for tonight. Any questions you have, any comments. These are three different rings that we cover tonight, and you notice each one we're getting closer. Next week we get into just the 12 apostles, and we're going to look at them. And then on the last week, we'll get into the last one, the three, Peter, James, and John, and then we get into that disciple that, that Jesus loved was John, and he was the closest one.